0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Giant Mighty Radio program. Thank you so much for being with me for the next hour as we talk about uh, the things in the news that you just heard. Of course, the big thing, of course, is the transit announcement. Uh, and I don't. Uh, we're going to get to that transmit announcement, but uh, I don't know about you. I'm excited. I'm excited for the program ahead, and I'm excited for a- any kind of announcements that we'll be making.
1: I was so excited about this announcement. I didn't even sleep last night. Barely.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too, Premier. I did not sleep last night. I'm excited. I am always. Excited. And of course, the thing that we're excited about now is this transit announcement that has been made by the Ontario government. It includes a Toronto downtown subway relief line that will be twice as long as the one considered by the city. And it will be completed two years earlier and cost $3.7 billion more. The Progressive Conservative government says this new 15-kilometer relief line is going to run from Ontario Place in the city's west to Ontario's Science Centre in the east. Now here's a bit of a longer clip of the Premier explaining the Ontario Line.
1: We're going to push north past Pape Station to a terminal at Ontario Science Centre and we're going to extend west. We're building a new line, a new line and multiple, multiple new stations all the way to Ontario Place. Ontario Place will soon be a world-class year-round destination that visitors and residents will be able to get to on a subway.
0: That is the Premier just earlier this morning talking about the Ontario Line. Also, uh, talking about other projects as well, the government plans to build the Young North subway extension that's estimated to cost 5.6 billion, a three-stop Scarborough extension at 5.5 billion, and an extension of the Eglinton Crosstown to Pearson at 4.7 billion. Now, talking about the Scarborough subway extension, the premier referenced his late brother, the former mayor of Toronto, talking about. The push to have subways in Scarborough to go underground. This is for you, Rob. Here is the Premier.
1: And this one is for you, Rob. This, (laughs) this, I can see he has a big smile on his
0: face. That is the uh, Premier right there talking about the plan announced today, this monumental plan that is contingent on a couple of things that people are pointing out and critics are suggesting that maybe this is not as much of a done deal as the Premier likes to say. For example, much of this is contingent on money from the federal government and from civic governments, namely Toronto. And if you have been paying attention to politics in this country and in this province, you know that Doug Ford's relationship with both the federal government and the civic government is not exactly warm and cuddly when asked about that by our queens park bureau chief travis danraj about what happens what happens if you don't get the money from the other levels of government here was ford's response
1: guys let's be positive this is the largest project 28 and a half billion you should be doing cartwheels all the way down this track here
0: cartwheels I don't know if that is going to pay for transit. Ben Spur is the Toronto Star's transportation reporter. He was at the event. Ben, welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. I heard you ask a question specifically about the Scarborough uh, LRT and when it is supposed to be phased out of service and then when any extension will come in. And, and Tell me about that and what the Premier's response was.
2: Yeah, so I mean, the kind of uh, the clock is ticking, right, for for Scarborough transit users. The SRT that exists right now is supposed to reach the end of its service life by about 2026, and the TDC doing everything they can to make it last that long. Um, under the current plan, the, the city had planned to build a one-stop Scarborough extension and, and hope to open it around 2026 when the SRT would be dec- decommissioned so that um, transit users wouldn't be uh, stuck uh, taking the bus. Um, but uh, under this new provincial plan announced today, they say they're going to build a three-stop extension, which is, of course, going to be more complicated, and they're planning to open that by sometime before 2030. So what I asked the Premier was what's going to happen in those intervening years um, for Scarborough Sky- Transit users. Will they be stuck on the bus? And I, the, mayor's, uh, sorry, the, the Premier's answer was basically we're going to try to build that subway as soon as we can, but he... he I think it's fair to say he didn't guarantee that Scarborough Transit users won't be left taking the bus for for quite a few years.
0: For a, a number of years, and that is one of the outstanding questions. The other, which we will get some more information, I believe, one forty-five this afternoon. The mayor is expected to talk. Is that correct, Ben?
2: Yeah, that's right. He's expected to respond to these uh, to this announcement today. He was kept in the in the dark. I think it's fair to say until. Uh, pretty late yesterday on on the details of the province's plan, so this is the first time we're going to hear him react uh, fully to what the um, province
0: is intending. Yeah, and the Premier was asked specifically about that uh, and why the mayor was not there. He said that he did have a conversation with the mayor last night and that he's super excited. I I just Let's move up uh, like 10,000 feet on this, Ben. How much is this contingent on other levels of government coming forward?
2: Well, I mean... Yeah, it'd be pretty tough, you think, for the province to just uh, build anything in Toronto without some kind of cooperation um, from either the city government or the TTC. I mean, the Scarborough subway extension is, is you know, connected to the TTC. The Yon subway extension to Richmond Hill that they want to build is also connected to the TTC. So there's got to be some cooperation, I think. Um, however, what the premier did say is that uh, if the um, other levels of government, of the city and the feds don't come up with... Uh, enough money to to uh, pay for this plan then the province intends to try to go ahead and pay for it itself um but uh it's difficult to see how there wouldn't be you wouldn't require some buy-in from uh, from the other levels of government
0: on the line right now he is a ben spur who is the toronto stars transportation reporter and coming up later on in the program at twelve forty-five, i will be joined live by the minister of transportation jeff york to talk further about the details of the plan and what we know and what we don't know the big concern on the civic government on the on the part of Toronto would be that that this plan is essentially a tearing up of the plans that we have. It's more expensive, and there will be more delays. It, are those concerns justified, Ben?
2: I, I think um, I'm trying to editorialize here, but I, I think they are because, I, I, like on the Scarborough subway extension, for the, um, on the one hand, you have uh, you know the city's project was going to be done by 2026. Now the the province is larger version of the project is going to be done later so that it looks like that's going to be delayed. Um, The city had hoped to open the relief line subway by 2029 and the province is saying that uh, they're going to double the size of the line and open it two years earlier and and, and, uh, they say there's a bunch of reasons why they say they think they can do that but um, you know I just think anytime that politicians come forward and say we're going to deliver massive transit projects that are going to deliver huge benefit and we're going to do it cheaply and very quickly um, you know, I think there's there's reason for skepticism there. The, the the city and the TDC have been planning their version of the relief line for a couple of years. They've invested millions of dollars in the planning. Um, they were supposed to start work on the. The shaft to, to uh, lower tunnel boring machines into the ground by the end of next year um, you know it's really difficult to see no matter what kind of technology or procurement process the province uses that they could start things that quickly and by comparison i mean they say construction on this relief line i uh, sorry on the new ontario line would take about five years um, the Eglinton Crosstown, which is being built uh, in Toronto right now, it's similar in a lot of ways. It's it's a lighter technology than a subway. It's above ground for large parts of it. It was procured using this P3 model that the province wants to pursue. That construction on that line is taking ten years. So, so yeah. how can can reduce that to five years? And or, and
0: it's a it, it's a dystopian landscape as well. I I, <laughs> I live I work up in Don Mills and I have to cross that section of of Eglinton and it, it's just it's nightmarish and it seems to be without end. Ben, we're almost out of time. I know you can't editorialize, you're uh, a very strict and ethical journalist, but looking at this uh, announcement today, do you concur with the Premier that you should be doing cartwheels?
2: I, I think as I say there's a lot of I think there's a lot of reason for skepticism um the the time the timelines that they put forward here.
0: Skipping, um, would you skip? Would would you, <laughs> you skip to my loo if not a cartwheel? What would I you do I here?
2: Usually, I don't do much skipping, no uh, skipping. anyways. <laughs> but uh no, this is not uh, I think if you talk to transit experts, they will raise some red flags over this and not, not quite be jumping for joy.
0: Ben Spur. Transportation reporter for the Toronto Star, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. You know what I feel? I, I, I'm I tired today. And why? Why am I tired? Because I was so excited.
1: I was so excited about this announcement. I didn't even sleep last night, barely.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, me, me neither, Premier. Me neither. And when we come back, we are going to be talking about Magic Johnson and something that he said yesterday about the pressures of life and how that relates to you. You're listening to the mighty... Alan Carter Radio Program. I forgot my own name. That's what happened. Here's what I'm going to tell you something real quick. Uh, I've been doing this show for about a month now. Every time we throw it a break, I actually have to look at the mic flash above the microphone here to read the name of the radio station. I am a total anchor man. I only read things that are in front of me. If it's not on the prompter, I don't know it. It is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Hope you're having a fantastic day on this Wednesday. The forecast for tomorrow, pretty crappy. Friday, not too good either, but it warms up. So, you know, spring, it is here. The warmth will eventually come. Uh, The Raptors, by the way, we still don't know who the Raptors will be facing in the first round. Obviously, the Leaf playoff uh, thing gets underway on uh, Thursday. That's versus Boston. But at this point, we still don't know who the Raptors will be playing. So excited for the Raptors postseason. Big basketball fan. But something happened in the NBA yesterday that I want to talk about. And I don't want to talk about it in terms of sports. Because you're probably like, dude, you're saying uh, there are other radio stations where there's people who know a lot more about sports than you, you clown. So well, don't call me a clown. But uh, so this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what happened with Magic Johnson yesterday. Of course, he is uh, the GM or formerly was the GM of the Lakers, but the Lakers did not make the playoffs despite having a guy by the name of LeBron James. And then yesterday... Just as he's talking to the press, he hasn't even informed the owner of the team yet. He just announces he's not going to do it anymore. He's out. And then I want to play for you what he has to say. Here. I want to go back having fun. I, I, I want to go back being who I was before to be free. And then I got a great life. I was like, damn, I got a great life outside of this. What, 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 what am I doing? You know, I got a beautiful life. So I'm going to go back to that beautiful life. I'm just going to And this stuck with me this morning because all of us are not, of course, millionaires and Hall of Famers where we can just go back to our beautiful lives. But I think this is a common experience that many of us have at work and professionally where you think to yourself, you, you know, I have a pretty good life and this is ruining it. This, I, Why am I doing this? Why would I do this? I have a good life I should be able to have a good life so I'm talking to all of you out there who have that moment and you think to yourself what do I do I mean I'm not I can't magic Johnson and just you know hold a press conference and walk away but how do I get a hold of my beautiful life well Giovanni Macaroni is with us he's a life coach owner of inspire yourself LC Uh, and, and Giovanni welcome to the program thank you Alan So you heard what magic had to say. If someone was to come to you and say, how do I get my beautiful life back? What do you tell them?
3: That's a good question. And I find it funny that people
0: think they have to quit their job or their career
3: to have a good life. What I always say is, like, you have to look at what do you really value? What's most important to you? Like, for example, some people love solving problems. Some people love analyzing things. Some people love helping other people. So, like in your career, in your profession, do what you value most. So you love it; you won't have to walk away from it. Does that make sense?
0: Okay. Um, what now? In my particular case, I happen to have the greatest job known to mankind. I get, <laughs> I get a radio show. Uh, I get to say whatever I want. None of the bosses listen. Except for the problem here is, and I'll just share this really quickly. Uh, we're at the Chorus Key building, and it's a big corporate building, and um, they play the radio station in the washrooms. So what I'm worried about is that Douglas Murphy, who is the CEO of Chorus Entertainment, one day is going to you know, gonna be relieving himself. He's going to be decanting, and he's going to hear the show, and that'll be the end of that. But that's another story. How, if, if, you, if you don't like what you're doing, what do you do? couple of
3: things. Change it up. Some people, they feel like they're stuck in their job. And you say, you know, there's this one, there's that one, and they say, no, 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 and they'll find all the excuses not to do it. So, you know, we live in Toronto and the GTA where there's always jobs available. So that's one option. Another option is, again, find what you value most and see how you could do that position or how you could do that job in your current position or how you could find, you know, if you love analyzing things, where in your current position do you analyze things? Some people are doing the things they love and they're not even noticing it.
0: You know, I'm a big fan of talk therapy and I don't care who knows it. Um, You know, I've been through therapy sessions when I've had some rough times in my life. I mean, you just simply don't go through life as an adult without carrying some water, without carrying some weight over the years. And one of the things that really has always stuck with me is how do I go in my life from being a passenger on the bus to driving the bus? How do Mm. I do that? Are you asking me? I, you, I, well, I believe you are the guy. You are the, co- okay. you are the guy that has the I, life coach.
3: I thought you were talking theoretically. But yeah,
0: <laughs> I may be. But uh, if you have any, if you have any uh, advice, I'll take it. I do.
3: Of course, of course. So the fact is, people are in the driver's seat, they've just been hypnotized to believe they're in, they're in the passenger seat. You know, we go through school learning to be an employee. An employee means, there's nothing wrong with an employee, but an employee means following someone else's uh, um, directions, following what someone else says. But the truth is, we are in the driver's seat. We are creators of our own lives. And I don't mean that in some kind of like, you know, just think and grow rich kind of thing. But if we have to, we can actually create our lives. What do we really value? What do we really want? And then find the ways to create that. So the truth is, we actually are in the driver's seat.
0: So it's, it's a question of perspective. You you are driving your own life, even though sometimes you feel like you're uh, you know in that movie Speed, and you're approaching the bridge, and there is absolutely no way that you will ever jump it, despite the fact that it happens in the movie. It's just not going to happen.
3: Right, right, right. But you actually are always in the driver's seat. If you think, oh, my boss this, or I, I can't do this because of this, this, and that— well, take a look at yourself. It's most likely that it's your mentality that's stuck somewhere. And that's why people come to me because they want something, but their mentality is I can't do it for whatever reason. Or they have like, these blockages. So, But the truth is you actually always are in the driver's seat. Even if it's like you said, Alan, even if it's like a change of per, uh, perspective, that puts you in the driver's seat as well.
0: Giovanni Macaron is life coach and owner of Inspire Yourself LC. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your advice today.
3: All right. Thank you, Alan. Thank
0: you. So the advice there is be Sandra Bullock. Be Sandra Bullock in your life. Do not be Keanu Reeves. Don't be Keanu, because he ain't driving. Be Sandra Bullock. I want to quickly go to a story that is just incredible coming out of Florida. Jury selection has now begun for the trial of a Florida man who prosecutors say killed his wife in 1993 because she had plans to leave him with their son. Now, here is the backstory, which is absolutely spine-tingling. Michael Hame's trial in Jacksonville started this week more than a quarter century after his wife Bonnie disappeared from their home. Hames is pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder. A key witness will be Hame's biological son, Aaron Fraser. As a three-year-old boy at the time of his mom's disappearance, Fraser told a child welfare worker, quote, Daddy hurt Mommy, or something similar. That's according to detectives in the case. While Haim remained a suspect throughout the years, detectives had trouble building a case because they had no body. But in 2014, having won his childhood home as part of a wrongful death lawsuit against his father, father, pardon me, Fraser, this is Aaron Fraser, actually discovered his mother's skeletal remains while making repairs to the property. Here, now, is him talking, this is Aaron Fraser, talking about that discovery.
4: I accidentally um, busted up the bag, and I saw what I describe as a, something that looked like coconut. Um, it was a fibrous material, just like a like a brown coconut. I picked up the coconut object and it ended up being the, the top portion of her skull. Um, I looked at it, we I hand I had it in my hand. Um I didn't really see anything. I handed it to Thad. And he looked back in the hole and we could see teeth. And that at that point in time you could you could see the top portion of her eye sockets.
0: That is just absolutely chilling. That is Aaron Fraser, son of Michael Haim, who is now on trial for murder. Hame, who is 52, had moved to North Carolina by the time of his arrest in 2015. He claimed that his wife had left the home without their son late one night in January of 1993 after they had an argument about marital problems. And Hame also said he went searching for his wife, although he actually didn't notify law enforcement. And you heard that clip there from Aaron Fraser, who what happened in the home after he won his childhood hood home in a, tr- in a trial in a wrongful death suit, there was a water leak that forced him to remove the concrete slab. And that is where he found the badly composed or decomposed remains. And DNA tests have now confirmed that those remains are indeed Bonnie Ham. That is a story that is just absolutely jaw-dropping, and it is currently underway in Florida. When we come back on the mighty Alan Carter radio program, we're going to go all Soundgarden in our next segment because we're going to be talking about black holes. And I don't know if you've seen this, but earlier today, scientists released the first ever known photograph of a black hole. And I'll tell you what, it is making me very hungry for a jelly donut. Welcome back to the uh, giant radio program. It's giant, it's large, it's magnificent, it's mighty. It's all of those things all together. Uh, scientists today have revealed the first image ever made of a black hole, and it depicts a fiery orange and black ring. Can I get a little sound garden? Thank you. Thank you. Depicting a fiery orange and black ring of gravity twisted light swirling around the edges of the abyss I'm I'm reading from the Associated Press here and I don't know who wrote this thing but my goodness Uh, assembling data gathering by eight radio telescopes around the world astronomers have captured a picture of the hot shadowy edges of a supermassive black hole I don't know, whatever the journalist who wrote this, maybe a little light erotica after this would be good. Uh, the light-sucking monsters of the universe, theorized by Einstein more than a century ago. And researchers say that their findings help offer further support of Einstein's theory of relativity, which was first announced in 1915, proving what I always, always believed, that Rob... the that Einstein was right! See... You know, the thing about comedy, it's timing. It's timing. Andrea Ghez is a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UCLA and is a black hole hunter and joins me on the line. Hello. Hi. What What does it mean to be a black hole hunter? What is that?
5: <laughs> means I've spent the last two decades um, Uh, looking for evidence of a black hole at the center of our own galaxy.
0: And today we have this photo that uh, one of the co-discoverers has said, quote, it reminds her of the flaming eye of Sauron from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Is that accurate?
5: That's a very vivid image, but I think um, it does bring to mind what they've seen they've seen, a, seen a, a bright ring of light around the black hole in a galaxy known as M87. And that's a prediction of what you should see around
0: um, a black hole. What is, quote-unquote, event horizon? What does that mean?
5: So the event horizon is the last place that light can escape from a black hole. So it's the point of no return um, around a black hole.
0: Let me just ask a couple of science fiction-related questions because I think most of us have all of our technical uh, and scientific information from television. If I go through a black hole, will I be transported back in time to the Nazi-era Germany, kind of like that Star Trek episode?
5: Oh, my goodness. Well, there are all sorts of uh, sci-fi things that you can invoke with black holes. So you can invoke the idea that you could tunnel through uh, to a different uh, place or time in the universe, of course, this is the the realm of science fiction. We have no evidence um, that, that this, such things actually do happen.
0: Tell me what is actually the significance of what was has been released today.
5: So the significance of what's been released today is a um, clear confirmation of a prediction that was made about how black holes um, should affect um, space and time around it. Um, so gravity which is one of the four fundamental forces, is in fact the least tested of those four. So this is an important new test of how gravity works.
0: And in terms of the science and the technology to be able to capture this image, tell me about that, because clearly previously, you know, we just have not had the ability to do that. Why can we do that now?
5: So what's happened here is um, pushing on the idea that you can bring the light together from telescopes from all around the world. So this has happened before at uh, radio wavelengths, and so this is pushing towards um, a different wavelength regime. So in the submillimeter which allows us to capture a different kind of light and at a different resolution. So this is tremendously um, ambitious in terms of the technology. And so part of the excitement of seeing this image is realizing that they've succeeded in um, bringing these telescopes from all around the world to work um, together like one giant um, uh, telescope.
0: Before I let you go, Andrea, I want to ask you uh, this question and whether or not you have always believed this to be true.
5: Einstein was right.
0: Was Einstein right all along?
5: <laughs> of course, as a scientist, one wants to be open-minded, so it certainly looks uh, from, this ev- uh, from this experiment like uh, he was indeed right.
0: Andrea Guez is a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UCLA and is super stoked that we now have actually seen a black hole. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Tomorrow we have the provincial budget. Uh, that is is kind of catnip for political uh, people like me. I just, just love the budget. I love everything about it. I love diving into it and reading it. And I'm kind of disappointed that for the first time in about a decade, I will not be in the budgetary lockup. Instead, I'll be doing this radio program, and our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Travis Danraj, will have the OPP officers watching him go to the bathroom instead, because that's what happens when you're in the lockup. Every time you want to go to the bathroom, you kind of walk out of the room, and there's a copper right there. Like, where are you going? Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to go see a guy about a horse. But uh, I pity the fool. <laughs> and so that happens I want to bring in now our guest is our next guest is Jeff Urich who is the Minister of Transportation and was part of that transit announcement uh, earlier today and Jeff just before I get you on the line I want to ask how well you slept considering the Premier had this to say
1: I was so excited about this announcement I didn't even sleep last night barely."
0: (laughs) Jeff Urich is the Minister of Transportation and is on the line Jeff did you get any sleep last night?
1: Yeah, I I was up pretty early, though, but
4: uh, I I got my uh, six hours in.
0: It was good. You slept like a baby. This thing was... No problem. See, that's the difference between you and the premier right there. Let's talk about, let's talk about this plan, uh, and let's begin with, I think, what is the major stumbling block for a lot of people thinking that this will actually happen, which is, where's the money from the feds and also from the city? Your government does not have a great, great relationship with the federal liberals and does not have a great relationship with Mayor John Torrey. Why do you think you're going to get the money?
4: Well, I mean, first of all, uh, Monty McNaughton, the Ministry of Infrastructure, has been in uh, conversation with uh, Minister Champagne uh, over the last few months uh, working out how uh, we can have the federal government share in this program. And and I don't know why the federal government wouldn't want to be a part uh, of this great investment uh, in the uh, city of Toronto that's going to benefit the entire GTHA region.
0: Well yeah, I can think know. of one thing I can think of the, the like stickers for example, and all uh, the rest of the shots that you're taking at Justin Trudeau every opportunity you can so there there's a good reason why they wouldn't want to be involved
4: well you know I you know I think they have quite a few members uh, sitting around the, uh, the caucus uh, federally that uh, uh, would love to be part of uh, transformation in their region to expand transit so you know I you know in, in the conversations with Minister Champagne have been going on quite well and and I could foresee them uh, being uh, printed in their share of the money that's, that's much needed.
0: All right, let's, um, you m- know. let's move on from the money real quick, and I, I want to play yeah. for you what the uh, Premier said, just talking about how this Ontario line will work and where it will go.
1: We're going to push north, past Pape Station, to a terminal at Ontario Science Centre, and we're going to extend west. We're building a new line, a new line and multiple, multiple new stations all the way to Ontario Place.
0: This will be much more expensive than the current proposal for a relief line. And also you are proposing some differences in technology in the way that you actually do this. Tell me about the cost and tell me about how it actually runs the relief line, where it's above ground, where it's below ground.
4: Well, certainly. I mean, uh, it, we're costing estimates around $10 billion, uh, which is actually uh, less than where the uh, per, uh, the city is with regards to forecasts for the, the current relief line. So we're going to use the uh, spine. Uh, the spine of the Ontario line will be the relief line that's already been planned. Um, and uh, using the technology, uh, you know, we're going to... Uh, use uh, a smaller type of rail, lighter rail than what's used in the heavy track that the TTC has been using for decades, and it's and it's out of date. Uh, the smaller cars, but more of them. So that means we don't have to drill as big a holes. We don't have to go down as deep. And also part of that plan on the Ontario line is, of course, we're going to go over the Don Valley instead of underneath it, um, which will r- give us tremendous amount of savings. Uh, it will enable us to build this uh, longer line, almost twice as long as the original relief line, uh, and the Ontario line will be uh, very much uh, close to the same cost that is uh, currently put forward by uh, the City of Toronto.
0: Jeff Yurick is Ontario's Minister of Transportation, and he's on the line with us uh, live. The, what you're talking about, though, is much of the same technology that's being used on the Eglinton LRT, which has proven to be costly and has gone over in terms of uh, when it's supposed to be done.
4: Well, I mean, uh, the uh, Eglinton uh, Crosstown town
0: is uh, still on
4: budget, um and uh i think they've uh they've learned a lot during that construction but uh you know we've had uh this line uh, costed out uh uh with regards to uh uh how it's going to be built uh, the as i said the the, the boring machines uh, won't have to go as deep which is a huge cost savings um and again yeah the lighter rail and the fact that we are going to be above ground going over the Don valley is the cost savings are are, are in place there um, you know, we're looking for the ministry of infrastructure to be putting this out uh, out for tender, and uh, we'll get, get right to work and getting this built for, for the rider
0: of, of the TTC. Speaking of putting things out to tender, one of the major problems with, for MetroLink's with the Eglinton Crosstown and also the TTC is with Bombardier and the delivery of vehicles. My understanding is that the province of Ontario continues to have a regulation, a Canadian content regulation on the books that requires the province to buy uh, rail cars or any kind of transit vehicles that have a majority of Canadian content, in other words, have to be built in Ontario or in Canada. Is that Does that remain the case, Minister?
4: I, you know, I believe the uh, Minister of Infrastructure is looking at uh, how to get the best value for taxpayers, and I think they're they're reviewing uh, how the procurement process is, is going forward. Are, are you suggesting
0: that you might take that, you might change that law? Because there has been talk about it, and there has been fierce opposition from union leaders about it.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I'll leave that to Ms. McNaughton to go forward with how their plan is, but I know we are looking at everything on the table to ensure that we're getting the best value for for the taxpayer uh, on, on how that proceeds. We've set out the plan. Uh, we're working with the federal and uh, municipality, and Minister McNaughton will be going forward with the procurement process. And uh, we're going to we're going to build these four new subway extensions uh, uh, for uh, the best value for the taxpayer. And we're going to build them on a faster time than originally planned.
0: Considering what the experience has been with the TTC and with Metrolinx with Bombardier, would you be cautious in awarding this contract to Bombardier?
4: Well, I think we're going to have to have a serious discussion. Uh, with Bombardier uh, uh, to ensure that uh, they're stepping up their game to ensure they can deliver if they so get the contract, uh, uh, if they're part of the process. But I think we're going to, we'll extend that to everyone that's coming forward uh, with regards to the build of these subways. We have uh, timelines. We want the, the, uh, the Ontario line up and running by 2027. So uh, we're going to be very stringent on our, on our procurement process. And uh, and as I said earlier, uh, Minister McNaughton will have a process in place to get us the best value.
0: Your government has also announced plans to build uh, the Young North subway extension that's estimated to be $5.6 billion, the three-stop Scarborough subway extension, which you mentioned, at $5.5 billion, and also an extension of the Eglinton Crosstown to Pearson at $4.7 billion. Minister, how does that jive with the UpExpress and the kind of money that this province and taxpayers have already put in to a line, which is kind of a boutique transit line that already goes to Pearson?
4: Well, certainly, I mean, that's the, uh, you know, the, the investment that was made uh, previously to uh, get people to Pearson quicker, but uh, Pearson Airport has this uh, great plan. They're coming forward to create a a transit hub that, uh, you know, will bring more people to to their area, uh, which will have great investment uh, for for that at part of uh, the GTA. Uh, you know, Go Transit will be part of that, uh, uh, the UP Express. Uh,
0: but aren't you uh, and- cannibalizing, you're cannibalizing your own business uh, model here? You've already had this, I mean, the previous government, and I admit that obviously this is the previous administration, uh, under Metrolinx, had to slash fares, to be able to get ridership up, and now you're saying, well, we're going to build another line there, and then, I mean, the whole thing—how does it actually make money? And we, as taxpayers, are on the hook for Up Express.
4: Well, certainly, I think there's a there's a need for a, a subway out into Etobicoke and uh, that's uh, been uh, uh, long needed, and we're delivering on uh, ensuring that we can extend the west out to uh, out to the airport, and, and you know, with the growth of. Uh, amount of people utilizing Pearson Airport and the growth of the population out in that area Uh, I I have no concern that uh, uh, both lines, including GO, that uh, will be out in that area, will be fully utilized and and maximize bringing people to and from Pearson Airport, but also delivering to the neighborhoods in Etobicoke uh, that desperately need this form of transportation.
0: Jeff Yorick is Ontario's Minister of Transportation. He sleeps like a baby. He's got no issues with getting a lot of shut high when he needs it. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Alan. All right, we all have a little bit of time here for our Rip and Read segment. And if you haven't been with us before, where we do this, what we do is we just take some of the wire copy that comes over the uh, services that we uh, pay for here at Chorus And I just rip them and I read them and often I haven't read them in advance and so this is where I, you know, show off some of my anchorman skills where I'm just reading them. So let's begin. In Toronto, Stats Canada says the average cost of a gram of dried cannabis has gone up more than 17% since legalization. Consumers in New Brunswick and Manitoba have seen the biggest sticker shock. Government agency says the average price per gram post-legalization $8.04 dollars 04 That is 17.3% higher than pre-legalization price of $6.85. Let's go to Philadelphia. A jury unable to reach a verdict in the trial of a Delaware man who admitted he broke the thumb off of a $4.5 million statue at the Philadelphia Museum. Michael Rohana was attending a Christmas-themed ugly sweater party at the Franklin Institute in December of 2017 when he entered a traveling exhibit featuring ancient Chinese terracotta warrior statues. Authorities say the 25-year-old man took photos while posing next to one of the statues and then snapped off the statue's left thumb. A mistrial has been declared. Prosecutors say they're going to decide whether to retry the case. Also in thumb-related news, a woman has sued the Houston Astros for more than a million dollars, saying that a t-shirt cannon by the team's mascot at a game broke her finger. The Houston Chronicle reporting that Jennifer Haguti alleges the mascot named Orbit shattered her left index finger during a game last July when a t-shirt fired from a cannon into the stands hit her finger. The Astros saying in a statement, the team, quote, is aware of the lawsuit and disagrees with the allegations. The team says it will continue to use t-shirt launchers during games. Alan! Alan! Is that that me? I I am out of time. I am out of time. Time to go on to my other job, which, of course, is being the anchorman on Global News. Beginning at 5.30, you can see me on Global News and that program, is Simulcast on this radio station beginning at 6. Until tomorrow, have yourself a lovely day. Remember, Einstein was right. We'll see you
5: Einstein was right. (laughs) See you tomorrow. What a
4: joyful day to frolic and play.